Hello and welcome to Joe's Boys. This is a podcast for little women, little men, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. I'm the author of the novel Both Sides Now. I'm also a writer for publications like Vanity Fair and the New York Times. And I'm here today with my very special guest, Jason Lipschitz. Jason is the Senior Director of Music at Billboard. He's written cover stories on Taylor Swift, Lord, and U2, to name just a few. And by that, I mean he has spoken to the Taylor Swift. <laughs> He has appeared on Good Morning America, Entertainment Tonight, and The Today Show, among numerous other broadcast programs. He's also handled red carpet coverage at the Grammys. You may know him as the reporter Stunned into Silence by Janae Iko's Beauty, if you've seen that meme. <laughs> that is me, Jason, yeah. Yeah, Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? <laughs> I'm very happy. I love that intro. Yes. I'm very happy you mentioned the Janae Aiko thing. I know. I'm very, pr- I'm very proud of So yeah, yes. absolutely. I was thinking of your greatest hits, and that one has definitely made the rounds. I'm so glad that you could come and chat with us, because I know you're a big Little Women head. What's your relationship to Little Women? Yeah, it's interesting because I never read it until right before the Greta Gerwig movie came out, which isn't that long ago. And I had been aware of it. And, you know, it's funny, I was thinking as I was prepping for this, I was thinking about my relationship to Little Women before I read it and before that movie came out. I still have never seen the first, the 90s movie. I I should check that out at some point. But I remember two things. Number one, I have an older sister. So obviously she read it. She loved Little Women. And number two, I am a big friends guy or I was a big friends guy. So there's this whole episode where Joey reads Little Women. <laughs> and are you aware? Are you not aware? No. Of this? Oh, I'll really? Have to check that. Yeah. I mean, I'm very up on Little Women-iana. Usually I'll have to check that one out. So that's like my introduction to Little Women to some degree. Because the, so to quickly recap that friend, I can't believe you haven't seen it. It's just... <laughs> You know, if you, I guess you know if, if you don't watch Friends, then yeah, there's a there's an episode of Friends where basically Joey and Rachel trade their trade each other their favorite books, and okay. so Joey gives Rachel Shining, and <laughs> Rachel gives Joey Little Women, the two and, genders, <laughs> <laughs> and Joey gets incredibly enraptured in Little Women. <laughs> Yeah, that's all I'll say. But you really should okay. watch it. It's on you know, okay. HBO Max and just find that episode. But it's very fun. But yeah, that was my first kind of impression. And then fast forward to a few years ago, I knew the movie was coming out. And I was just like, ah, you know, I've never read Little Women. I should just go through it. And I love the cast of the Greta Gerwig one. So I wanted to see it. And so I read it. and I loved it. And I just really enjoyed kind of everything about it. And the different social dynamics, which we'll get into with this chapter, the Louise May Alcott's writing, plot. I, I'm a, like a really big plot guy. I yeah. When I read, I'm not a big reader when it comes to total atmosphere and nothing happens. I need to read something. Yeah. Not to say that I'm like a betrayed guy, yeah. but I also just, I want some movement. So that's the fun thing about Little Women is every chapter, this happens and then this happens and this happens. It's very kind of propulsive in a way that I appreciate it. So yeah, I read it and then I loved the movie. And obviously, and honestly, this is not to gas you up, but I'm a fan of everything you're doing around <laughs> Thank you. Little Women and Joe's Boys and you're writing yeah. on it. And that's cool as hell. You know, you mentioned 
me being on Good Morning America and Entertainment Tonight, I'm mm-hmm. way more excited to be on Joe's Boys than any Whoa. of those things. <laughs> Dead serious. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you for gassing me up. We needed some gas in the tank as we get going today. I was not able to pick up a Frappuccino on the way, so I need all the energy I can get. I, Jason, no, I mean, thank you for saying that. Thank you for being here. I'm glad that you know, you checked out Little Women before seeing the movie. I say this just because I was just getting my haircut before this, and my barber is this Italian guy of a certain age, and he asked what I was doing later, and I said, oh, this Little Women podcast, he's never heard of Little Women, so I'm just telling him all about the book. He's like, ah, oh, have I never heard of this? And it's, <laughs> so it's, I do find that men sometimes just don't engage with it, and so it's nice that you're a genuine, total fan. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. And the thing is also, I also get it in the sense of, you know, there aren't that many books from that time period that are being engaged with today in general. Yeah, you know, you yeah. have the classics and even though Little Women is a classic, there are obviously corners of the internet that are all about classic novels and you yeah. know, book talk and all that stuff. But, you know, you scan your normal Twitter timeline or any kind of social media and there's not a lot of like, hey, let's talk about this scene from the 1800s classic not you know it's just like not the yeah, thing yeah. <laughs> so that was cool that i mean that's the thing is like that it was cool that there was another big screen adaptation that kind of resulted in you finally picking it up yeah it's fabulous so which march sister are you and keep in mind for the purposes of this podcast Lori is a march sister yeah so that's my answer is i'm definitely Lori. <laughs> so I, you know listen just based on my gender and also shout out because i heard, <laughs> heard in a recent episode you said that you went through the demographics of your listenership yes <laughs> and you said six percent male and i was like hell yeah let's go <laughs> that's six percent let's go that's me <laughs> definitely yeah definitely laurie for a couple reasons he's definitely a jokester he is someone who I really love the fact that he went away to college and he came back like, yo, look at me. I'm a man. So it was totally me. I was such a dork in high school. I grew my hair out long. I had a very dumb beard in college. And I came back trying to reinvent myself. But also, right, the main thing that I relate to with Lori was high school me was very much like, would have crushes on girls and then be like, I love them more than anything in the world. I will always love them. And then a month later, I'd be like, oh, I've totally changed. Oh, no. (laughs) As high school boys are, you know, and high school anyone Mm -hmm. is kind of want to do so. I definitely, you know, seeing our guy Chalamet in the movie, just like pouring his heart out to Joe. And then knowing where that story was going to go, I was like, yeah, man, I've been there. I've been like, I will always love you. And then a couple months later, different story. But yeah, no, definitely Lori. Exactly. Well, actually, you know, it's interesting. I'm definitely, you know, if you've limited me from Lori, I honestly don't really know because I'm not a Joe at all. I'm not the kind of rebellion. Yes, questioning authority. That's just never kind of my personality. I'm not really a Meg. I don't know. I, I okay. so that's the thing is when I was thinking about it before this, I was like, yeah, I guess I have to go with Lori, even though it's like a very gendered thing. But it's yeah. just who I am. No, I mean that's completely fine. It makes sense for you because Lori is our music aficionado of that. Well, 
him and Beth, right? Glory wants to become a pianist like his mom. He wants to go to Europe and write opera. So you're on very similar career trajectories as well. That's very true. I never really yeah. thought about the music angle like that yet. <laughs> I am also half Italian, so that's cool. Oh. <laughs> All right. Rock and roll. There we go. You're the same person. I love it. So Jason, would you please ca- recap the chapter that we're discussing today? Chapter 30, Consequences, which sounds way more dire than it is. <laughs> I know. And I want to ask you about yeah. that. So <laughs> I love the title consequences. You're like, because again, I, truthfully, I mm-hmm. obviously read the book before. I only re- returned to this to do a close read of this chapter. So I didn't read the whole thing. So I, mm-hmm. when you told me the title of the chapter, I was doing, I was like, oh, consequence. Like, I wonder what's going on. And it's like, Mrs. Chester is having a fair and not even an affair, just a no, fair. fair. <laughs> Crucial. And setting up the tables. And so basically the recap is Mrs. Chester asks Amy to set up a table, doesn't ask Joe. So we'll see some more of that kind of come into play. And then Mrs. Chester's daughter, May, is jealous of Amy because she's the better artist. There's also been this kind of rumor that the marches were clowning on May. <laughs> so, yeah. So she kind of asks, May asks Mrs. Chester to take the table from Amy. So she does. And Amy is annoyed. And May feels bad because she knows that Amy's annoyed. And Mrs. Chester's like, it's fine. And <laughs> so Amy's having a tough time setting up uh, the day before the fair. Her sisters want her to retaliate, basically, but Amy won't. So Joe kind of swoops in and recruits Laurie and his pals to be like, hey, let's show out for Amy at Mrs. Chester's fair. And Laurie's like, hell yeah, I'm going to buy all of her floral arrangements. (laughs) And, you know, there's some back and forth with Joe and Laurie. Plan works. There's a reconciliation between Amy and May to some degree. And then, you know, you have this kind of seventh inning little switcheroo, because who's in the corner? The big homie Aunt Carol. She's just (laughs) watching all this, and it's like, (laughs) oh, she talks to Mrs. March about something. We'll see where that goes. After the fair, everybody's really pumped for Amy. And then after the fair, Aunt Carol asks Mm -hmm. Amy to go to Europe with her instead of Joe. And Joe's bummed. And, you know, the chapter kind of ends with Joe kind of begrudgingly supporting Amy going to Europe. Beth is happy that Joe is sticking around and Amy is leaving. And then she's realizing, oh, my God, I'm going to Europe and I'm away from my whole family. And she kind of asks Laurie to watch over her family. So, again, (laughs) so much of this, I guess, consequence. All right. Yeah. Can we start with the title of the chapter? Consequences? Because it's about consequences. fair. And I just thought it was so, when I was reading it, I was just <laughs> laughing because I was like, oh my God, the consequences of Amy getting bumped from her table. Anyway. Well, I, so it's a very, it's a very intense title for really one of the more lighthearted chapters in the book. Yeah. Like, the stakes could not be lower, which is hilarious for reasons that I'll get into shortly. I think the biggest consequences in this chapter are of Joe putting her foot in her mouth about Europe and losing the opportunity to go to Europe because we understand she really wanted to go. Like when they get the letter saying that Amy's been invited, Joe is like, 
that's absurd. It should be me. She doesn't quite understand that it's not an open invitation. It is just for Amy. It is something that she has specifically lost through her own behavior. <laughs> yeah. At one point, mm-hmm. she goes, oh, my tongue, my abominable tongue. <laughs> my and abominable like, tongue. Yeah. And then this whole dispute with May Chester is because Joe is making fun of May Chester, was doing like a May Chester impression on those visits. And that word got around. But, you know, game of telephone, people then thought it was Amy who had done the mean joke. <laughs> so, so really, a lot of the humiliations being heaped on Amy here are a consequence of Joe's behavior. And then Joe losing out on the trip to Europe is a consequence of her own behavior. Or maybe we get some foreshadowing of the Lori and Amy partnership toward the very end. Yeah, It's maybe yeah. a consequence you know, this is we're setting something in motion to be a consequence later. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, but I mean, it's a very funny title for just an incredibly low stakes chapter. And there's a piece of context that is absolutely critical that I need to give you. Yep. When Mrs. Chester says, I'm sorry to move you from your table, Amy, but I know you are too sincerely interested in the cause to mind a little personal disappointment. So this is a charity fair. What is the cause that she's talking about? What do you think is the cause? Yeah, I have no idea. I So I had a bunch of questions. Those are my okay. main questions of just reading. Again, yeah. full admission, just not reading this out of context. You know, I, yeah. should, I went back a little bit and tried to gain. And I was like, okay, this is where we're at in the story. But I couldn't really figure out who the Chesters were okay. and like what they were doing. So I guess I, yeah. that was my main question for you. Of, sure. Obviously... You have this title, Consequences. There's a lot, lot of kind of hijinks, as you say, kind of going on around it. But I I was surprised because obviously there are ancillary <laughs> characters around the marches. Yeah. You have neighbors. You you kind of get to know some of them. I didn't really have a great recollection of the Chesters. So I wanted sure. to ask you about that. So the Chesters, are they're just sort of one of the well-off families in town. This is kind of their moment to shine. Between this and the last chapter, we kind of get, I think, all the Chesters that we're going to get. They're, you know, they're of a piece with the Moffats. They're kind of just important, local, well-off families. So that's the Chesters. The cause. I'm going to quote an excerpt from May Alcott's diary. This is December 26, 1852. She writes, Saturday, I spent the day at the anti-slavery fair and tended a table there sometime. So contextually, this is an anti-slavery fair. This is a fair meant to raise money to support people who are escaping from slavery to help resettle enslaved people. (laughs) And all of this unbelievably petty bullshit (laughs) is going on (laughs) at the anti-slavery fair. I mean, that makes sense, obviously. (laughs) Their dad is a Union soldier. It's fighting for the Union. And so that makes sense. And I wasn't wondering too hard. I was just like, oh, there's a fair. I didn't know that. But that really is hilarious (laughs) in terms of (laughs) just Amy just being like turning to the Bible to be like, how will I get through? No, it's like, it's like you basically got bumped from one table to an Amy. It winds up being this hysterical (laughs) meta commentary. I mean, first of all, when I was doing my research on the May Alcott diary, my friend James was with me and was like, anti-slavery fair? When you put it like that, (laughs) it makes, you know, it makes so many of our modern charitable efforts seem like equally, I'm sorry, the way that we're going to 
fight slavery is by throwing a fair. <laughs> Floral arrangement, yeah. <laughs> Floral arrangements, vases, trinkets. <laughs> so already this effort, it strikes us as radically unequal to the task. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously good to raise money to help people resettle, but unfortunately what we needed to actually take on this issue was quite a bit more involved. <laughs> and like I said, it's this meta commentary of rather than putting aside these unbelievably petty personal grievances to just get the job done and make as much money as possible, it becomes this social feud between these two, these white women. <laughs> it's just very <laughs> remarkable in that respect. I think it's a very well-observed kind of human emotion in this chapter, but also it's rare, especially in the second half of this book, that the stakes are ever this low. I'd, from this point on, Amy's going to Europe, we're getting into marriage, babies, all that stuff. So yes, yeah. the, <laughs> the anti-slavery fair. I'm curious if, as to, in terms of Alcott treating that as such mm -hmm. deep subtext, where she doesn't yeah. even really outline what they're doing. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious on your take on that. It's just... Well, so that that's one of the biggest questions that I have about Little Women, because Alcott was extremely passionate about abolitionism in her day-to-day -day life. The Alcott's home was at one point at Wayside. It was a full-on, it was a stop on the Underground Railroad. People escaping from slavery would stay there with the Alcott's. Alcott would teach people how to read and write while they were staying there. And when she served as a nurse during the Civil War, it's a kind of a little known fact, but she actually served in a hospital for black soldiers. Yeah. And that informed some of her later writing. She got very ill and had to come home about six weeks into her service. But as soon as she was well again, she was like, well, now I want to go south and help teach freedmen to read and write. And her family was like, you literally almost died. <laughs> you can't go back into a, you can't go back into a hospital teaching situation so soon. Yeah. She was very much someone who those are what I regard as kind of the bigger of her contributions to the cause, but in all kinds of tiny ways or littler ways too. There were certain authors she would refuse to read because she knew she didn't agree with their politics. She refused to even touch Nathaniel Hawthorne's book because he dedicated it to the pre Civil War president who screwed everything up, right? Yeah. Like she, she was very, very adamant on these points. And so little of it shows up in Little Women that it's very odd. And maybe one of my guesses would be that the outsized attention being paid to this very petty conflict is maybe a way of commenting on how people in her community didn't take it seriously enough. I, that might yeah. be kind of a reach, but I think there's a lot. This chapter, I think, is of a piece with the Meg Goes to Vanity Fair chapter, you know, where she puts on her dress and, yeah. and sort of, it's funny and it's very human, but it takes a pretty dim view of like women and female friendships. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. the main, my main takeaway, there's a couple of main mm -hmm. takeaways. Maybe my number one is just the keen awareness of those social dynamics where yes. you think about a lot of the social interactions in this chapter could have happened in 2023 in terms of just like, yeah, I think they're, <laughs> I think they're mad at me. And then like kind of overhearing, oh, like they're, I think they're talking about me. Should <laughs> I just jump in and be cool? And then at some point, Amy's like, I'm, I'm going to move my stuff back to mm -hmm. help you out, even though you kind of screwed me over. And she thinks, or she either says or thinks it's easier to do a friendly thing than it was to stay and be thanked for it. So it's like very mm -hmm. much like, so, all right, I'm not going to do a nice mm -hmm. thing. 
and hopefully they'll stop talking shit on me, <laughs> but I won't stick around to be thanked for it. So they know that yeah. I'm genuine. So all of this stuff that's happening in this chapter could <laughs> take place over Instagram. Yeah. If you think about it, it's just like you, all of these gossipy angles, the, you know, May in her corner and Amy in her corner, and they're both getting different feedback, friends <laughs> and family. That It's so prescient to like, just how we live. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. It's so interesting to me. Yeah. Can we think of a similarly, a similar cause that would be equally in- inappropriate to throw a fair over? <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is you're right that maybe it is maybe mm-hmm. by not kind of being like, hey, mm-hmm. look at how out of touch all these yeah. people are. It really is kind of <laughs> underlying people who pick up on it are really gonna yeah. it's really gonna hit home yeah i mean i think i may be being unfair like at the end of the day it sounds like amy worked really hard on the stuff that she's selling they are selling this stuff for a good cause there is at least money flowing toward you know freed people yeah. but you know the fact that the personal drama completely takes that over and it becomes this occasion for merriment and leisure i think that says a lot about the racial dynamics of the day in a sneaky way, on top of everything that we're hearing about class, on top of part of the reason that Amy is kind of being shunned is there's this, you know, innuendo that like a gentleman love her, that she's a big flirt, she's maybe fast, she's getting around. And that, it seems like that more than anything is really painful for Amy. It's, you know, Joe makes a dig about it to the Chesters at the end, because what they do, how they resolve the situation. And it's interesting that men have to save the day. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, Joe asks Lori to round up all his friends from college. They all come and buy out the fair, essentially. Yeah. Which, again, huge class thing, because it suggests that even Lori's friends from college in Boston are even wealthier than anyone in Concord, right? So they come in, they buy all of Amy's stuff, they hang out at Amy's table and make Amy look great. And Joe is like, well, I guess gentlemen really do love her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love yeah. the image of Lori with a vase under each yes. arm, being like, look what I did. <laughs> He's got vases, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's this, it's been this recurring thing of Lori and flowers. Like, kind of when he first meets Joe, he takes her into the his greenhouse and shows her all these flowers he's been growing. And now here he has these two empty vases, which, if we're getting real galaxy brain, maybe they're the two potential romances being yeah. represented. They're empty, but they could hold flowers. I don't think that's flowers. Galaxy I, Brand. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's. I think that's absolutely yeah. true. You know, it's really interesting. I, I, you know, we're kind of jumping around a little bit. Lori's whole behavior in this, yeah, is really interesting to me. So he first kind of shows up in the chapter when Joe recruits him. Yes, and it's like you got to help out Amy and Lori's just like totally flirting with Joe in a he very is, kind of like yeah. sitcommy way. And she literally slams the door in his face. It's like an episode of Cheers where there's yeah. he's just like, ah, what are you going to do for me? And she's just like, get out of here. <laughs> and then at the end, there is this kind of flip. Obviously, he's, you know, he's kind of jovial through this whole time. And then, but the very end of the chapter is Amy's leaving and Lori goes, you know, he, she asks him and he goes, I will, dear, I will. And if anything happens, I'll come and comfort you. Even... Just that sentence of him being pretty serious with her after being so kind of joking with Joe. Obviously, yeah. he's still so focused on on Joe and he's telling Amy this in a friendly way. 
but yeah, you can kind of you can certainly kind of see that flip happening. Yeah, absolutely. I you're saying something so important about how the weight Laurie is increasingly like he's coming back from college. He's like, I'm a man. In yeah. again, I mentioned already the when he first meets Joe and shows her to the greenhouse, he's sick. Joe calls up to him and is like, Don't you have any boys to play with? He's like, I don't like boys. They're annoying. They make loud noises. And here he's like, Here's like my 30 Chads from college. <laughs> my dudes, my bros. In fact, when he greets Joe, so the familiar tramp was heard in the dusk and Joe ran out to meet him. Is that my boy? As sure as this is my girl. It's a very, their gender identifications have been ambiguous at points. And here yep. they're very, <laughs> they're incredibly firm. That's my boy. That's my girl. And we understand it, even as Laurie tucked her hand under his arm with the air of a man whose every wish was gratified. There's some flirtation in this scene, but Joe is obviously not playing back into it. When you mentioned the cheers dynamic, you had me wondering, like, how much of that is from Joe and Laurie? You know, like yeah. how much, because we think about how if you take Joe March out of the literary canon, then 150 years of tomboy protagonist just collapses. <laughs> I don't know that Joe and Laurie's dynamic specifically is as influential, but it makes me think about what kind of impact they might have had on the way that we write men and women in this kind of jokey, will they or won't we early phase. Yeah. Well, it really is. I've been thinking about a lot the kind of basically how I want to say U.S. sitcoms because I'm not as familiar with international sitcoms. But like <laughs> when you think about there's definitely a template that does kind of feed into the the Joe and Laurie kind of dynamic mm -hmm. where, you know, you think about Jim and Pam on The Office and you think yeah. about Wesley and Ben on Parks and Rec. And now, I don't know if you watch Abbott Elementary, but it's very much kind of going on <laughs> with Janine and Gregory, where you have kind of a couple seasons of just, oh, there's clearly interest here. Yeah. Yeah. And will they act on it? Of course, something will eventually make them act on it and kind of have this the same way that you have the super pivotal Joe and Laurie scene where he's pouring his heart out. You have the kind of finally will they or won't they after <laughs> being friends or colleagues or something. So yeah. it really does. I mean, that's the thing is like you think about a scene like this where they're mm -hmm. very flirty, but nothing really serious has happened and they're close and they're having fun and they're working together to help her sister. And that's every episode of the first three seasons of The Office, where it's just like, yeah. Pam needs Jim to kind of help with her scheme. And then like, nope. at the end of season three, Jim's like, I'm in love with you. <laughs> and you know, eventually they get together. Yeah. Season two, so, Casino yeah. Night. Yeah, season two? I don't, I'm, not an, I'm not an Office guy. I'm not, I literally, can I tell you? Yeah. When it's too overstated, like it was the Jim and Pam, okay. I kind of lose interest, where it's just sure. every episode, it just ends with Jim being like, <laughs> and just like, dude, I love her. Yeah. So anyway, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, I yes. think that, but I do think that template is very time honored, I guess, <laughs> is my point. Yeah. And I think you're also pointing to something interesting because in all the sitcom examples you spoke to, and in just the obviousness of it, the answer to will they or won't they is they will. Right? Yeah. And it's unusual. It's still great with people today that the answer with Joe and Lori is they won't. It's not that. Yeah. I, yeah. Like, I think a lot of people think they're headed this way because Joe refuses and rolls her eyes at Lori's flirting. That's simply not what this is about, right? So it's it's this kind of simultaneous bro-y joking thing. At one point, 
Lori says a flock of our fellows are going to drive over. And he's so he's kind of including Joe in this male we there, even yeah. though he just said, that's my girl. So yeah. Joe still kind of retains some of this both sides of the spectrum here. But I think Alcott is sort of subtly beginning to put in these signals that it's not actually going to work out for Joe and yeah. Lori. And this isn't a situation like we have a Pam's fiance who's a temporary roadblock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a bit more. And so, I mean, that also gets me thinking, stay with me here. My friends and I, we all went through this period where we were all watching The Office and our galaxy brain take was that Jim was lesbian coded. <laughs> you know, Jim is oh, yeah. Pam's best friend, kind of a slacker, like floppy hair, loves to hang out in the office, and has this huge crush on Pam that he just cannot act on. And so we would just take screenshots of scenes and go, this but lesbian Jim. <laughs> Imagine Jim is this like tortured lesbian who has a huge crush on her best friend, finally says, I'm in love with you. Pam's like, you have no idea what your friendship means. And, and Jim's like, I can't take it. So it's, but I think, and that's obviously, that's hive mind galaxy brain stuff. But I think also, we've talked about examples of straight will they or won't they, that kind of inevitably end up in yes, they will. But I think a lot of the time, there's sort of a long history of what we might call queer baiting, which is these other shows kind of doing similar will they or won't they dynamics with two men or two women and really skirting the line and then the answer kind of inevitably being they won't or we'll kill them right after. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know I don't know how we fit in Joe and Lori on that spectrum. Well, and that's what I think is so interesting about their dynamic is because mm-hmm. you know, when you say something as sim- something as simple as using our to describe yeah. the boys that that Lori's going to kind of bring in to help Amy. Obviously, he sees her in some regard as part of that faction. And then, obviously, he has romantic feelings toward her that he expresses. But also, you know, the conclusion is that they don't end up together, but are not are still close. Oh, yeah. Very close. You know, it's one of those things where this kind of changing dynamic all the time where, you know, even Joe doesn't know exactly how she should react in certain situations after being very sure of herself. And then, yeah, I mean, I think, it, I mean, that's kind of, again, why it's stood the test of time better. Yeah. Than like, again, yeah. like, I think that if they had ended up together, you know, you have the kind of simple, the simplicity of that, yeah. of, of the kind of Jim and Pam being like, hey, it's season eight and they're still <laughs> together and it's great. Yeah. And now they're, whatever they're doing in season eight, I have no idea. <laughs> But I think that this is more interesting. And I think that, you know, and also you think about that scene and rereading Little Women and mm-hmm. rewatching the movie and knowing how it's going to play out. You've been going over this book, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. A, <laughs> yeah. You know how wrenching that is because you know that they're not going to end up together. You understand yeah. that it's wrenching for both of them. That I think that mm-hmm. just makes it more powerful yeah. than being like, Ah, it's going to work out. Don't worry. No, completely. Those crazy kids. Yeah. Yeah. I think Lori's feelings for Joe are extremely deep. They're genuine. I think he is, he's disappointed that he doesn't work out. I think there's always this consciousness of Amy was the absolute second choice. (laughs) And that's a hard thing to sit with. And at the same time, even though Joe really adamantly doesn't want to be with Lori romantically and isn't even willing to just 
play along or give it a try. She knows how she feels. It's still excruciatingly difficult for her to turn him down because she knows how much, you know, it's going to hurt his feelings and break his heart. She's not, she's like very empathetic, even as she's having to turn him down. I think there's some confusion on her part because Eve, she doesn't fully understand her own reasoning or maybe like yep. her own reasoning was inexpressible for whatever reason on the page. You know, I think Alcott in real life had and expressed an understanding that she was attracted to women, but I think she probably understood less about her feelings for men because she certainly didn't want to get married. She didn't want to be a mother, but she still loved boys and had these super affectionate and even flirtatious relationships with boys. And I think she was figuring out what jar do I put those feelings in? To what extent does that relate me wanting to be a boy? It all gets very complicated, and I'm not sure that she was ever able to resolve it. I think she deliberately chose not to resolve it with Joe by, you know, trolling her readers with Professor Bear. And I'm not looking forward to getting to Professor Bear. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did think about that when I was <laughs> yeah. when I was thinking about this close reading. I was like, man, Peyton's going to have to talk about Professor Bear. I'm not. Like at length. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not looking forward to it. I don't like him. We have a nice 4.9 on iTunes and all the Professor Bear stands are going to come out of the woodwork and one star me. I <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the Professor Bear stands. No, I, I, yes, I don't know if they're numerous, but they're out there. I guess. Good luck if that's your journey. <laughs> so while we're also we're thinking about the ways that Lori and Joe and they're kind of they're dealing with kind of their budding sexualities, we, we see Amy also being pretty harshly punished for her own, you know, feelings about boys or the attention that she gets from boys. And I think the treatment of Amy in this chapter is very different from the treatment of Meg in the Vanity Fair chapter, which equally involved flirting and kind of this very hyper-feminine material culture. But I don't know if it's personal growth on Alcott's part that she's like, actually, this really isn't Amy's fault and people shouldn't treat Amy this way. <laughs> and there's nothing yeah. wrong with enjoying the company of boys or art and flowers. And what it remains constant is that female socialization gets a bum rap <laughs> and yep. female friendships, female relationships. Amy's family is on her side, but none of the other girls or women at the fair are. They have to yeah, be brought and, around. Yeah. Well, even after, you know, so Amy gets bumped mm -hmm. and then she's bummed out. And again, like I was saying, the girls are all kind of gossiping while she's right there. Amy is like, I'll move my stuff back if it'll help you, even though she was the one who was kind of bumped. And then one of them, there's two comments from the kind of peanut gallery after that. And one of yep. them is still disparaging to yeah. to Amy. It's like, <laughs> damn, like, why are you guys being so harsh on Amy? I will say that one of my favorite lines of this chapter was <laughs> the non-disparaging one goes, now I call that lovely of her, don't you cried one girl? And I just think <laughs> I love cried. Mm -hmm. And this happens a lot in Little Women. Mm -hmm. I remember reading it of just like someone what do we have for breakfast? Yeah, like, cried Meg. Like, yeah. <laughs> cried is such a an <laughs> way to say something. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. They're weeping. Yeah, they're still yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. They're still dissing 
Maybe. Yeah. Then she's, again, she's read like, thou yeah. shalt love thy neighbor. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to do the right thing, even though, even with you had her sisters kind of as like the devil on her shoulder and being like, <laughs> screw them, retaliate. Get yep. some, you know, they <laughs> yeah. treated you like crap. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, no, I'll be, I'll behave. Yeah. So you're, you're right that <laughs> this kind of gossip is just kind of prevalent. Yeah. For Amy, navigating an afternoon in a social circle of women is like, going through a bank vault full of lasers. Like she has to do all these backflips and say the right thing and do the right thing and read the Bible to fortify herself. And then at the end, this vision of perfect male camaraderie sweeps in. It's Lori's friends as a unit, (laughs) like this undifferentiated clump of boys come in and they're lovely. Yeah. Yeah. You can kind of watch it. Yeah. The kind of animated cloud of people that yes. kind of just bumps along. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's so true. They all have the same opinion. They're all completely happy to please. It's completely uncomplicated. And I think that's another subtle hint to us that Alcott just really felt incredibly comfortable around girls and women and just felt more at ease with boys. But also it is like we're, what we're left with essentially is this kind of light misogyny of women are gossipy backstabbers but you can always depend on your bros (laughs) so i (laughs) no it's true you're absolutely right and yeah women in this chapter are not portrayed flatteringly whatsoever Mm -hmm. even meg or not meg Mm -hmm. joe is you know her sister gets to go to europe and Mm -hmm. it's for a bullshit reason but joe's like (laughs) a me reaction is that's bullshit i should be going to europe yeah and carol (laughs) (laughs) and you know and again i think (laughs) joe and beth are the ones kind of in amy's ear being like screw them there's not anyone aside from marmy and then Mm -hmm. amy's trying to do the right thing but she's also just you know screwed over and I don't know. It's very, I totally agree with you that, yeah, it's the guys who are just like, yeah, we'll save the day after <laughs> you, all you women are just kind of like going at each other's throat. Yeah, it's so, it's not subtle at all. It's difficult to read today in a lot of ways. One refreshing twist on that, though, I will say, even in recent chapters, we've sort of, Amy's artistic skills have been really mocked. But in this chapter, there's no doubt at all that Amy is actually a really gifted artist. Like, even the people who are making her life difficult are like, her art is the best, and we're going to need her art at the front fair table of the fair if we're going to sell anything. We depend on her. When Amy hears the news that she's going to Europe, she doesn't fly upstairs and start packing her dresses. It says she looks, she immediately thinks about her pencils, her colors. The first thing she does when she hears about this trip, is pack her art supplies. And she's talking about how this is going to be great for her career. And maybe she'll learn if she's a genius. And if she... And Joe decides to be rude and says, suppose you haven't any genius. (laughs) And (laughs) you hate hard work and you'll marry some rich man and come home to sit in the lap of luxury all your days. And that's very rude. But Amy says, you know, if I'm not a genius, then I'll teach art. She's already kind of like making a career backup plan. Yeah. And it's, I think Greta Gerwig really pulled this out hard and showed us Amy at the painting lessons and Amy throwing the apron aside and saying, I am not a genius. I can't get by as a mediocre writer. I have to be great or nothing. We get to see more of that ambition here. So as much as Amy's sexuality and her relationships with boys are making her the subject of kind of this shame and envy. I think there's some 
acknowledgement maybe from the other people at the fair. They haven't had the opportunities to cultivate their talents like Amy has, or they simply don't have what she has in terms of painterly ability. So it's a nice, I like that for Amy. I like that people are envying her talent and her ability and that she is immediately thinking, you know, she's not talking about sightseeing or fashion or the hot European guys she's going to meet. She's like, I have to get my pencil crayons in order. I need to make sure I'm packing my watercolor. It's a lovely little, you know, cherry on the top of the Yeah, the chapter. I, I totally agree with you. I'm curious as to your read of Joe's kind of sniping in that yeah. situation, because on the one hand, you would ex- expect Joe to be like, yeah, mm-hmm. prove all the haters wrong. <laughs> Come yeah. back as a genius. And yeah. like, I'm sure part of it is that she's still kind of bummed that she's not going to uh-huh. Europe. But I also, I thought that was a really interesting kind of snark from yeah. Joe there being like, I, I bet you're just going to find you're not a genius <laughs> and come back like married. Maybe, <laughs> do you think Joe was kind of setting her expectations low to, you know? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious on your read on that. Well, I think this is maybe a moment in the novel where Joe can, she sees Amy starting to overtake her. And it's interesting because Joe has been extremely supportive of Amy throughout this whole chapter. And all of a sudden we turn on a dime and she's saying, you're not a genius. You're just going to come home pregnant, (laughs) basically. Right. (laughs) But, you know, Joe has, is chronologically, we're I think a couple of chapters out from Joe publishing her first novel and it getting a really lukewarm and confusing reception. It's not a smash hit. It doesn't do what she wanted it to do. She's really writing these pot boilers that she's not proud of, can't put her name on. And, you know, she says, all of your dreams come true and none of mine do. So we're looking at the dashed literary dream of the novel, not doing what she wanted it to do. I think in a large sense, you know, despite what, you know, her expressed wish to be a boy or be a man, she's shooting up into a woman. In the very first chapter, there's this line about she had the look of someone who, of girl who was rapidly shooting up into a woman and didn't like it one bit. And now she's increasingly there. This chapter comes right on the heels of a chapter where she was kind of forced into a prim dress and gloves and a parasol and made to go and play the role of a lady and just couldn't do it. So she's not able to embody herself the way she wants to express herself the way she wants to. She's not able to go to college. Her novel got panned. And now she's watching Amy go to Europe and specifically think about the career milestones that she's going to achieve. And I think maybe Joe sits there and has this vision of Amy, the famous painter, the genius of the family, like the immortal march. And that just... Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting read. Yeah. I mean, that's (laughs) that makes a ton of sense that... She wants this for herself. So, and, you know, this being this kind of vague Mm -hmm. sense of non-gendered accomplishment. And she sees it kind of potentially lining up for Amy. So she wants to put a little dash in a little bit. Well, and an accomplishment, because it's so directly connected to how those visits went in the last chapter, that it basically Amy performed femininity correctly, so she gets to go, right? And so for Joe, it's like, I literally have no control over this and I'm losing this huge opportunity because of it. I can feel her pain in that way, but it's just, she is just nasty to Amy. And Amy, for her part, is gracious and is like, in a year or two, I'll send for you. We'll dig in the forum for relics and carry out all the plans we've made. And Joe is like really touched by that. 
but we can tell that she's taking this news kind of hard. Yeah. The only real consolation, and this is kind of the last point I want to touch on, is Beth is like, well, I'm glad you're sticking around for a bit. Like, <laughs> Beth in this part of the novel is either not present at all or appears in one scene to be like, I'm about to die. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're sticking around, comma. Yep. Because I'm dying. (laughs) Yeah, no, it really is. It really is kind of conspicuous that she just kind of like leaps into the fray. And it's like, hey, by the way, you're chilling here. Yeah. I don't have much time left. Yeah. Yeah, that is really She's true. barely at Meg's wedding. She's not at the birth of Meg's children. When Joe is thinking about publishing her novel, she's like, well, I just hope you publish it soon because <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> so it's, what's interesting is even as Meg at this point is married and dealing with her babies at home, Amy is really coming into like romance and love for the first time. Joe is sort of moving away from that. And Beth is just not, Beth is older than Amy, but there is no sign at all of Beth being romantically involved or having those kinds of feelings for anybody. And it's, so that's a very interesting contrast. Can I ask you a question? I was actually wondering, yes. it's when you asked which bar sister I am. Yes. How many guests have you had that have said Beth? Have any said Beth? Yeah, I would oh, say really? okay. she's, we're, Joe's predominate. Unsurprisingly. And then I think Amy, you know, I think Florence Pugh just did a lot for the Amys of the world and, you know, but then probably Beth and then Meg. I think fewer people identify with Meg, but I think Beth really like- Fewer people identify with Meg than Beth? (laughs) Why does that surprise you? Well, because Meg is very much a personality type to me that I see a lot. Maybe it's just people in my life that I see Mm -hmm. as, you know, kind of not planners. I see a lot of, obviously a lot of domesticity with Meg and kind of, but also kind of the oldest sister quality, looking after people, you know, just being like the oldest one in the crowd and kind of experiencing things for the first time. I can't imagine me like, yo, I'm totally bad. I'm very, I'm coughing (laughs) all the time. I'm just like, please don't leave because I, the clock's ticking. (laughs) I'm shocked by that, but all right, there you go. I think Beth has a sensitivity and a gentleness that really appeals to a lot of people. Yeah. I think her arc, although tragic, is the emotional hinge of the book. Right. Yeah. So I think she just has a lot more to do than Meg. I don't think that anyone has really cracked Meg yet. We've sort of pulled out over the course of making this podcast, I've kind of learned some things about Meg that surprise me. Just in that I think she's a much more She has a lot more agency than people think. The marriage to John Brooke is a lot more just about sex than people think. Yeah, Um, totally. Yeah. We found in the episode we just did with Steve and Ira, we covered the chapter where she blows a bunch of money on silk to to make a dress. I loved loved that. I loved that episode when you guys (laughs) calculated how much $50 in silk would be in 2023. That's hilarious. No, it was astronomical. And then Stephen was like, that's a normal amount of money to pay for a dress at Bergdorf. So I'm like, Stephen, we are. <laughs> I can't even speak. But what we found in that episode was the conclusion of that arc is that she sells the silk, uses yep. it to buy a winter coat for John, and then meets him at home wearing the winter coat and says, how do you like my dress? And then Alcott's like, and such a state of bliss ensued that... 
nine months later, a baby was born. Like, <laughs> right? And I want to be like, Greta, can you? <laughs> I think that would have been a really like fun bow on that scene in the Greta arc, which we, yeah. you know, instead we get this like heartfelt hug in the garden. Instead, we could get this like raunchy. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, no, and that I totally agree. And that's kind of <laughs> why. And I, I was reductive about yeah. death in terms of her. No, I get it. Obviously, she's more than just coughing all the time. But that's the Meg that I see. Yeah. You know, again, like the kind of the oldest sibling who's experiencing life as a wife and mother a lot. Yeah, of them, yeah. But also, yeah, does have this kind of subtle agency that kind of sticks out. To me, when I was reading the book, I never was like, oh, she's just compliant to whatever John Book wrote. No, not you know, at all. Like, not and, at all. So that's, yes, anyway, yeah, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I think a lot of adaptations kind of do Meg a disservice. I think for reasons of story necessity, John and Meg getting married is like, well, that's the end of it for Meg, when in fact, in the book, we get a lot of Meg being like, okay, John, for this marriage to work, you need to look after the kids, right? Yeah, (laughs) We need to split our finances, I need to be able to have agency, so, like, a lot of the most interesting material for Meg kind of just gets left out, which is a bummer. But I think, you know, as far as, like, why people might relate, if I were to ask you not which Marchester are you, but which one would you want to play in a movie, I think, oh, right, yeah, most Beth people, they're definitely... going to, yeah, Beth gets these big, juicy, dramatic moments. Yeah. She gets to die. <laughs> right? yeah. She probably has more to do than Meg and is less likely to be, Amy can almost get, like, the villain at it, <laughs> you know? Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I wanted to ask you another kind of little women in pop culture. Have you read Mm -hmm. The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo? No, tell me more. So it's Taylor Jenkins Reid and she's the author of a bunch of novels, Daisy Jones and the Six. Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo is about a famous Hollywood actress who goes through, who who has seven husbands, obviously. Yeah. Spoiler alert. (laughs) But there's a pivotal sequence in which she is starring in a fictional adaptation of Little Women. Really? And she has kind of a rival star actress. Uh And she's cast in Little Women. I I think (laughs) I'm remembering this correctly. Yeah, yeah. I read the book like last year. Evelyn Hugo is cast in Little Women as Joe, and right. everyone is like, oh, this is going to be Evelyn's Oscar performance rate. And then her rival is cast as Beth. And the turn is like, oh, shit. Actually, her rival has a better shot at winning Best Supporting Actress as Beth because she has the big death sequence. Yeah. So That's I was, delicious. Yeah, you got to read that. It's, <laughs> no, a good, it's a fun read. No, I'll have to. No, I, yeah, but I think that's... Taylor Jenkins Reid obviously has her finger on the pulse. That's even with this more recent one, I think Florence Pugh kind of came out of nowhere and was like, this is, you know, this supporting role is going to be my star turn. Right. And so, yeah, who can say I we're we're past the hour. So I don't want to keep you too long, Jason. But while you're here, which pop star would each March sister stand? Oh, man, I totally forgot about this question. (laughs) Okay, let's see. Man, oh man, that's such a great question. Joe would stand Kesha. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I think in terms of liberated pop, speaking her truth and just, you know, fucking shit up, Kesha <laughs> for sure. Terrific. I love it. Amy, Amy, it feels like would be a Gaga fan. 
in terms of she would get that the art pop yes cd and like kind of <laughs> unfurl it and see all <laughs> the shapes and shit and be like yeah. wow this oh my god <laughs> art pop meg. specifically seems very real yeah. <laughs> meg <laughs> this is really fun yeah i kind of picture meg being like a bieber fan of just being oh, like she would be <laughs> <laughs> right <God>. listening <laughs> <laughs> She's like, can you picture Meg being like, yeah, I have a peaches down in Georgia. Oh, yeah, that's really <laughs> catchy. <laughs> and I don't know if Beth would be. Beth will wo- have a grit. She's a woman of taste. She's a woman of taste, right? Yeah. Piano. I would say, I would say yeah, I was going to say Beth would be like an Adele fan, I feel like. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You know, the sorry picture of <laughs> Or listening to someone like you, she's coughing. <laughs> no, <laughs> you go. But yeah, I feel pretty good about those picks. What do you think? Okay. Do you disagree no. with anything vehemently? I completely. I think you're spot on. Although I think with Joe, it would definitely be like later period Kesha. I think yeah. Joe went through a thing where she's like Kesha's the dumbest person in the world, and then. Over the years, she's like, I was wrong, and this new oh. stuff is really good, and I will kill Dr. Luke, kind of thing. Yeah, I think it would be a lot <laughs> of that. Her. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking more of. The Kesha who's making songs with like Queens of the Stone Age, and it's just yes. like, oh, yeah, I'm into this shit. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> All yeah. right, well, thank you, Jason, for bringing your musical expertise to us. Where can people find you online? How can they support you and your work? That's a great question. Just follow me on... I guess Twitter, Instagram, Twitter's like burning down by the day. Yeah. Just at Jason Lefshots on Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, and also Gilbert.com. Usually writing a couple things per week. And then I'm working on a bigger thing right now that I can't mm-hmm. speak to, but I'm very excited about. It's very cool. More news. In, yeah. In, yeah. Another, you know, next, next time I'm on Joe's boys. Next time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. We still got the rest of part two to cover. We got Little Men and Joe's Boys after that. Joe's Boys on Joe's Boys. So we'll be around for a while. Joe's Um, Boys on Joe's Boys. I will say also, I said this to you before we started taping, but you're doing awesome work. I love the fact that you are really examining this text in a very modern light and also in a very smart and appreciative light. And just there should be more podcast but also more anything that's that's doing what you're doing so yeah congrats to you i love this show and keep it up well thank you jason i really appreciate that i come here to the public library and plug in my microphone and it's good to know that it's for a reason so (laughs) i love it yeah absolutely Uh, and as always i'm your host peyton thomas you can find me online at peytonthomas.ca you can buy my book both sides now wherever you buy books you can also now find us on Instagram. We are at Joe's Boys Pod. Thank you so much for listening. And I think, Nenny, my editor, if you could play us out to someone like you while Jason and I cough like Beth, that would be great. All right. 